0: there hello twitch world welcome to football outsiders twitch channel and our first ever wednesday show hey it's the wednesday ask us anything show ama with the m of course standing for us ask me anything ask us anything anyway you're here with the football outsiders crew i'm aaron Schatz, the editor-in-chief of football outsiders i'm here with mike Tanier, and our special guest this week is robert weintraub you may remember him from such Football Outsiders chapters as the AFC North, which I give him pretty much every year because he's a Cincinnati fan. So the first question of the week,
1: of course, is which one of you is taking the USC job? It is not me. I am committed to building a franchise here at Football Outsiders. I wish people would stop asking me about
2: it. Yeah, it's really embarrassing that I have to come out here and sit and- Over and over again, how I'm committed to this program. I took a job here under Shad Khan. Uh, He promised to build us all an infrastructure that we can be proud of and the people can be proud of. So uh, I am not going to Southern California anytime soon. It
0: is absolutely amazing that we are in the middle of September and we already have Urban Meyer being asked if he's planning on leaving the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like It is really early for that.
1: I still have to mow my lawn and we're already in this storyline. I made a joke a couple of weeks ago about how they're burning through plot there in Jacksonville way too fast. They won't be able to get through a season. And this is a good example of that.
2: Yeah. It's, it's very game of Thrones esque, isn't it? It's like it <laughs> to last until episode 10 and we're on episode two. And already the whole thing is turned upside down. But I mean, I think Vegas has it as the over-under of what? It was one year that he would mm-hmm. last in Jacksonville. Now it's what, six weeks, eight weeks, something like that. I guess
0: some some places have him now as the leader in first coach to be fired. Other places right. have Matt Nagy as the leader in first coach to be fired.
1: Yeah, and if well, fired is the requirement, then I would go with Nagy. If it leave, exit, resign, then I'm, I might – I don't know, because I think Meyer will last until December he's going to want this – He's going to want to look like he's really trying and he's going to want this like long range of jobs in front of him before he makes a decision. But uh, still, I'd be I'd be leaning toward Meyer, too. You know, one thing about that is if you watch the video and everybody, if you're watching right now, the video is just on your Twitter feed 37 times. The person asking the question is obviously like a Jaguars employee and it's like. Spoon feeds softball the question in such a way, so it's all scripted at this point. They're already scripting it to make sure, okay, Urban. So you know how to hit the home run on this question. Here's how it's going to get asked. It's going to be soft, and it's going to put you in a position to look good in this interview.
2: Yeah, probably they could spoon feed him game plans that might actually work on Sunday. <laughs> it probably help. You know, uh, I'm
0: not as shocked as everybody else is, by Houston winning the game and looking good. Houston has a bunch of professional players. Like, you know, we talked about a lot in the preseason, the idea that Houston was sort of like an expansion team. Like they had a lot of these guys who are just slightly below average. And Jacksonville is a young building team. It's It was not like the biggest upset in the world, and it certainly doesn't mean Houston is way better than we were all expecting.
2: No, no. No. I mean, I, I picked Houston to have the number one overall pick come next April's draft. However, that is certainly the case. It's just a matter of time, though, until somebody stabs Tyrod Taylor in the lung again and he has to give <laughs> up. his. So it really becomes, you know, uh, uh, for me, at least in Houston, obviously a lot of that uh, sort of preseason joke fest, yeah. was based around their uh, their purity tests in the front office and and Ooh. the various Deshaun Watson uh, debacle. But, you know, yes, they have players. I just don't think they have a ton of depth particularly, so we'll see how long uh, their professionalism lasts. But there's no question uh, they were much more suited to win on opening Sunday than the Jaguars were, no doubt.
1: The Jaguars came out and were, like, lined up incorrectly in the first snap. They had 12 men in the huddle. There's all these things that just indicate you haven't been practicing right. And that's you know, like, oh, you're making fun of Urban Meyer, it's all narrative. He's got Schottenheimer and everything there. They look like they hadn't really like figured out the basics of practicing and lining up. And that that feeds everything else that all the other problems they were having.
2: And I'm there was also sorry. I'm sorry, I just wanted to make a quick point that you know, they wanted they talked a lot in the uh you know, the training camp about giving Gardner Minshew all those reps with the first team yeah. and how they were sort of building up his trade value and everybody's like oh brilliant move they could get something for him now but i think it showed in lawrence's certainly his early performance in that game that maybe he could be used a lot more of the first team reps in practice and in training camp and uh didn't quite appear to have the total grasp of what he was doing out there even beyond all the uh, what mike referred to the general chaos going on around him i mean i think he recuperated as well as he possibly could. And that doesn't yeah. take anything away from his obvious great prospects, but right. uh, it did seem like they did him a little disservice in terms of training camp by giving Minshew all that run. Yeah.
0: The yeah. the the idea uh, that Lawrence was going to ever not be the starting quarterback was so ridiculous that right. like, we were all laughing at it at the time, but did, there were real implications on the play on the, the practice time there.
1: Yeah, you can see, I mean, he didn't have good timing with the receivers. Balls were going through receivers' hands. Guys were dropping balls. They didn't have the reps that he should have had with the starters, which I think would have cleaned some. Of, I don't think it gets them a win. I don't think it'd make a big difference this season. But they're not as prepared as they should be coming in the week one, and, and that's not ideal.
0: So which yeah. do you, which vibe do you guys get from Urban Meyer? Do you get the Bobby Petrino vibe <laughs> or the Steve Spurrier vibe?
2: Rob? Uh, yeah, he's he's way too tightly wound to be Steve Spurrier yes. in any capacity. Uh, you know. <laughs> Remember, this is a guy who had to leave uh, Florida not just one step ahead of the posse and the law, but also because <laughs> his insides rebelled against him. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, he doesn't give me too much Spurrier vibe. There's definitely some elements of Petrino yeah. and uh, and Nick Saban, uh, both you know guys who took a look around sort of halfway through their NFL sojourn and said. Not what I signed up for, gents. Yeah. Check you later. It's like uh, the last thing <laughs> of Greece, you know, he hops into the, uh, the convertible with Olivia Newton-John. He's like, so long, suckers. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's always, it's always funny that the song is singing We Belong Together while John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John are like, I'm out of here. See ya. <laughs> That's a whole nother story. That's a different Twitch Uh <laughs> podcast whatever we're doing here uh yeah, movie so,
0: musicals with football outsiders <laughs> yeah,
2: no question yeah he he definitely urban to me is you know for all he can say at a press conference a billion times over he's not going anywhere and and it's possible the usc in and of itself is not the job for him right uh yeah. you know florida state didn't exactly uh show out too well in the second game of the season, and there's already right. buzzards circling around Mike Norvell down there in Tallahassee. I could see that. Or certain other gigs that open up, you know, they always do. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think anybody, would, as we've been talking and as everybody in Vegas agrees already, it, it would not be any kind of shock that Meyer ditches that that experiment, either at season's end or even before.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Sperry Spur- would be golfing right now. Sperry would be like, oh, you know what, it's 107 Eastern time. Time to hit the links. You guys go do what you want to do. This is more of the Petrino vibe.
2: Yeah. He'd be so this, shirtless, too, I think. Yeah.
0: <laughs> this is our Ask Me Anything show, so I want to invite people who are watching to ask questions. We've got a few kind of uh loaded up, but the yep. first thing we should talk about, since we have Robert on the show, is Cincinnati winning in week one. So you watched <laughs> that game... Probably a lot more than Mike or I did. I was busy watching Pittsburgh Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, What were your takeaways? What went really well for Cincinnati? What do you feel good about coming out of that game? What do you think was more about Minnesota having problems than Cincinnati being good? What were your takeaways?
2: Certainly the overall big picture, and I bring my cynicism into this as a longtime Bengal fan, which is that – so much went right. I mean, if you had to draw it up ahead of the time and the weeks coming up to the game, you say, what do you want out of that opener? You want obviously Joe Burrow to come out healthy and look the way he looked as a rookie. And for the most part, he did. You want him to hit a big bomb LSU style to Jamar Chase and not have Chase drop any balls. Mission accomplished. Uh, you want the offensive line at least to look coherent, which they did for the most part. They did give up five sacks, but a lot of that was was Mike Zimmer magic and conjuring free runners, not necessarily the guys getting pushed around, which I think uh, was an important step, at least baby step. Uh, you want Joe Mixon to run for over 100 yards. You want the defense to show pressure on their own on the quarterback and, and make critical turnovers. And you want our rookie kicker, future 10-time All-Pro Evan McPherson, to uh, hit a 50-yarder and a game winner for the first time in his career. I mean, they checked every box, and yet they almost gave the game away yep. in typical Bengals fashion, and and had to go to the very last snap of overtime to win. So, you know, a very much a mixed bag. And well, while, you were, while re- you were
1: talking there, while you were talking there, the Vikings also jumped off sides four times and, and held three.
2: Yeah, I mean, their penalty. The offensive line in Minnesota was the one that was atrocious. I don't know that that was really a pregame storyline anywhere outside of, you know, Cincinnati and and Minneapolis, but uh, they were not just overrun by the Bengals uh, Mm -hmm. front line, which is not exactly Steelers-esque, but (laughs) they had massive communications issues. They were, you know, just didn't know where to line up. They looked like Jacksonville in some ways. So uh, Minnesota did everything they could to, to spoon feed the game to the Bengals in a lot of ways, had, I think, eight or nine, third and double digits to yes. to convert in that game uh, and and still managed to come back. There were some questionable Zach Taylor uh, moments in there. Uh, I don't know if this got a lot of run nationally, but Jesse Bates after the game, or maybe on Monday, I guess it was, was asked about when Zach went for it on third and or fourth and inches, I beg your pardon, uh, up by 14 at their own 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, questionable call. They went for it, didn't get it. Mixon fell down. One of his few bad plays of the game. Uh, And Jesse Bates basically said, "Yeah, we were all pissed off as a defense that we went for it." Uh, Little, Mm. uh, it should be mentioned that Jesse Bates is in contract renegotiations that have hit a stall, and there's some bad blood between him and the front office. That's a whole another conversation. But I do think he'll be resigned in the end. And uh, you know, they basically the defense led by Bates came over to Zach and said, "What the hell's going on?" And he said, "Listen, guys, you're going to have to." This is what we're going to do as a team this year. Zach Taylor knows, you know, he might not get a fourth season if, if this year goes pear shaped. They got to win any way they can, and going for it on fourth and inches from their own thirty, up by two touchdowns reflected that. Um, and he said, you know, be prepared to bail us out on certain occasions because it's just what we're going to do. Uh, the punting game is not going to be a huge part of our game uh, our game plan this season. So there was a lot of things to certainly. Question: A lot of Bengals, typical same old Bengals, as people would say, involved. Uh, and the big picture, though, is they actually won the game, by hook or by crook. They found a way. That's <laughs> that's something they found a way to lose. That's a game they have lost consistently with Taylor, and even before, but certainly with Taylor. Uh, their record in one-score games and in games they've led in half time or in the fourth quarter is just atrocious. So I don't really care about all the other things that went on and the fact that, you know, a game nearly gave me a stroke and they're taking years <laughs> off my life. They want it. I think any Bengal fan will tell you that's all that really matters. Uh, at the end of the day, we can, you know, nitpick our way around a million things. But, hey, they're 1-0. They're going to Chicago. I'm going to be in Chicago, by the way, on Sunday for this game when nice. my awesome. uh, rare forays into enemy stadiums to see the ball game. Andy uh, Dalton's revenge it'll be Andy Dalton's uh, and Bill Lazor I might add the revenge game <sighs> for those two. Okay. It'll be our revenge against them I hope. Uh, let's put it that way. And, Bill Lazor uh, could have like so a dozen
1: revenge games. He's been so many teams that like
2: he's been Dolphins everywhere. revenge, <laughs> Eagles <laughs> revenge,
1: like maybe you should hold on to a job, Bill.
2: Anyway, it's uh, yeah, he should definitely look in the mirror as they uh, as they say. But yeah, it's it's it, I, I'm I you know, listen, the Bengals threw away their last two openers. In games, they definitely could have and probably should have won, and uh, a lot of it came down to field goal kicking. To, so, to see us have an actual potential uh, weapon, a kicker is—I know most fan bases wouldn't care about something like that—but in Cincinnati, it's it's almost never been a thing. So, I'm happy for that. Happy they won the game any way they could. A lot of stuff to clean up, of course, but we'll take it.
0: Thanks to a useful title for subscribing, by the way. Thanks for your subscription. Uh, I think the Zach Taylor thing is interesting because if I remember correctly, he was pretty low in aggressiveness index his first couple of years. So if he's hmm. sort of come around to the idea of being aggressive on fourth down, I think that that is a positive. And it's interesting if it's possible that it is sort of the like, we have nothing to lose, let's go for it, makes him, you know, if that attitude makes him more aggressive. I, and I, I definitely do imagine that going for it on fourth down. As much as it probably jazzes up your offensive players, it might piss off your defensive players. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's you like you don't want to
2: give up short fields if you have to. You know, right? right? Uh you know, these guys, you know, these are NFL players. They've seen all the situations, they're right. mini coaches in and of themselves. Uh, there's no doubt that they have opinions. And uh you yeah. know, not only was it interesting that Bates came out and said that publicly, uh that he basically led a, a team revolt, a mini revolt on the sidelines, <laughs> but it's interesting that they would think in that capacity rather than be like, ah, oh, well, you know, whatever, Here we go again, got to bail out the offense. Uh, and, you know, if you look at the nitty gritty, they actually forced the fourth down on that drive and were one play away from making that decision not mean anything. And then uh, they called an all out blitz, beaten mm-hmm. as it seemed inevitably would happen by Cousins to Thielen for a touchdown. Right. Game on, you know, they make one more play or one more, Minnesota penalty that they were certainly forcing earlier in the game, and mm-hmm. you know they're not even talking about that or having that discussion. But yeah, there's a definite sort of major league vibe around the uh, around the Bengals. <laughs> that you know, fuck it, let's win the whole damn thing. Uh, let's just do what we can. Our jobs are on the line. You could say that in Chicago too, and yet they're taking the exact opposite approach. Which right.
0: you would think that they would feel like, well, if we're gonna lose, let's lose with the rookie. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's not how they're
2: acting. Rather than let's lose, boring. You know, uh, much as I love Andy, I mean, come on. Uh, It's
1: the worst. uh, It's the worst coaching decision, but it's the better cover your butt decision to do what the Bears are doing.
2: Yeah, and I I give Taylor plaudits. You know, if he's going to go out, he's going to go out, guns a blazing. You know, and I'm not saying that that you know it's all situational. And I think even his what. Aaron referred to as his lack of aggressiveness uh, over the first two years. I don't think that's really his style. I, I think that was more situational slash yeah. forces because of the offensive line issues. And and obviously when Burrow went down last year, that changed a lot. I mean, if Burrow's out there, they're going to go, you know, and, and they showed it in overtime. I mean, you know, Burrow checked out of one play, saw a different play that he specifically had practiced on Friday or Thursday. One more time, he said, to get the ball to C.J. Uzama because he thought it would work out that he would break open on that play. So that's how far ahead of the game Burrow is. uh, And it worked out, won the game. And, you know, I think Zach Taylor would look at it and say, I got full, you know, trust in this guy. If it's fourth and anywhere makeable anywhere on the field, uh, rather than than inside my own 10 yard line, I'll put the ball in Joe's hands and, and ride or die, you know.
0: All right, isn't one of our questions from the Ask Me Anything? Why did the Raiders, this is from Dan Murphy, why did the Raiders actually lose two rankings in Dave after beating the Ravens? And I'll answer that by saying they didn't. Okay. So I don't actually understand the question. <laughs> the, the, so the Raiders were 18th. They were 18th in the projections in the book. They were 21st in the projections on the site before the season and they're 19th in days, So they did go up a little bit from the preseason projections. I'm only mentioning this not to tell Dan that he's wrong, but to open it up to talking about Monday Night Football Mm -hmm. and what you guys saw from the Ravens-Raiders game. I think my biggest takeaway was the problems that the Ravens had on their offensive line. Like, is Ronnie Staley fully healthy? And with Alejandro Villanueva, like, we we underestimate the issues that it takes to move from left to right or from right to left, and Max Crosby was a freaking monster all game. And uh, and that would be my main
1: takeaway. And the Ravens offense right now with these running backs is not the Ravens offense. You can see how tentative they are with their meshes.
0: You yep. can see that yep. there was
1: less, less confidence in running those options. There were some bobbled exchanges. I think there was a fumbled exchange or two. And there was a lot of the handoff where it's like Lamar's almost like, here, I'm handing off. Like, none of the stuff that you're used to in the backfield, which means that they were running a much watered, more watered-down version of their offense. I think the line has something to do with that. I think the fact that when I would go to watch them practice, uh, especially in 2019, because last year I obviously couldn't, um, so much time was being put into the meshes, the exchanges, the pivots, all the other things that go into that backfield. Now None of these guys have done anything. Uh, I guess the one, the one guy was like – Williams
0: has, but like Latavius Murray hasn't done anything yeah them.
1: right and Williams was probably doing it with Trace McSorley and the other dude yeah uh, because they were doing it with the backups most of the time so you take that element away from it and that was a big factor and then and I'm going to write about it and walk through it looks like Wink Martindale has a case of Rob Ryan disease where everything's either a seven-man jailbreak bit blitz or three guys rushing and eight guys back in coverage and it always seems to be the wrong answer
0: it was always it was a lot more of the latter I think and I the commentators on the ESPN megacast pointed this out. I, I watched the um, I watched the NFL live crew on ESPN plus. I mean, it, it was great that you had the three different options yes. for announcers. And I uh, mean no disrespect to Lewis Riddick when I said, when I say I don't understand anybody who isn't watching either the Mannings or the NFL <laughs> live crew.
1: Because
0: I watched the Mannings for a quarter and then I switched to the NFL live crew. But they brought up that, with the injuries, the no Jimmy Smith and yep. no Peters. Marcus Peters, yeah. the, the uh, trust that Martindale has in his corners goes way down. So all of a sudden he's not blitzing and playing man coverage the way Baltimore does. And then Baltimore is not bringing anywhere near as much pressure as they usually do. And so the Raiders are like moving the ball on them. Especially later in the game when they discovered that there were actually receivers on the team who were not named
1: Darren Waller.
0: <laughs> right.
1: But yeah. there were also some blitzes. And when the blitzes came, you got penalties. You got defensive pass interference penalties. You're leaving uh, Patrick Queen one on one, the rookie, I forget his name, one on one. So, you know, it, it's just, and, and, they, and the defense played well for a half. Is that Averett, the rookie? I think it was Averett. Yeah. Averett brothers. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of the uh, I think it's the 2018 Ravens, the one that uh, got bounced out of the playoffs on a last-second pass by the aforementioned Andy Dalton mm-hmm. uh, and put Buffalo into the playoffs that year. Uh, where, and I was saying this you know, to anybody who would listen that we're talking all about how the the hurricane of injuries of running backs is going to kill them, and it doesn't help obviously. But the Peters injury is mm-hmm. really going to affect how they play uh, uh, in so many ways, and now and you can see it. I mean, they're very prone to not just big plays and not just you know getting beat on their blitzes and it's just a lot of communications issues back there. Or Peters was a guy you didn't have to really in, explain anything to. He he could de, uh, he could diagnose almost instantly. He gets very little credit for his defensive football smarts, and that's a guy they could really afford to lose. They still have good players on defense, obviously, but you know the their pass rush is 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 created not. You know, not because of winning one on one battles a lot. They're they're really finding ways to get uh creative to to get to the quarterback, and that's been true for a couple of years now. They, you know, even uh, without Matt Juden now, they're they're even more susceptible to having to do play that way. And if you play that way without shutdown corners, mm-hmm. that's really difficult. And and they came into the season thinking this is what we're gonna do, our strength. You know, it's the age-old discussion about what what makes a good defense, pass rush or good coverage, right? And in this case, the Ravens, due to personnel, mainly said, all right, we're going to do it by coverage, and we're going to scheme up front, and we're going to find ways to buy enough time for our guys to get to the quarterback rather than, you know, have our quarterback cover up – our pass rush, rather, cover up for our secondary. And once you lose Peters right at the beginning, that that puts a real wrench in that entire – uh, you know, kind of overall holistic strategy. So they they got some issues and Peters is not replaceable. You know, the running backs at the end of the day, they'll find ways uh, sure. to improve their mesh points and, and work on that in practice. Greg Roman will tell you it's it's a very timing-based offense and that, that'll improve theoretically. And, and Lamar will make things happen when they don't. They'll, they won't be blown out but they're going to give up a lot more points and be vulnerable late in games a lot more than they have been the last couple of years. I
0: wonder if the mesh point thing is the reason why they ran so few designed runs with Lamar Jackson, yeah, right? It was, so it was mostly scrambles in this game from Lamar Scramble Jackson, and that's not his game.
1: Right, right. There didn't seem to be a lot of option options put in there and a lot of more, right. more under center. He's under center for a big chunk of the first half and going back, and it looks like they're running like – Sean McVay type stuff. And it's it's not what they, they are, not who they are. Uh, and I think it limited them, particularly like in the first quarter, first half when they couldn't sustain their drives.
2: Uh, yeah, some of that might have been just game plan for the Raiders. Uh, sure. You know, and also, you know, I think there's a thought that now with the running back injuries, Lamar is going to take a lot more onto his plate as the season progresses. And they probably were thinking to themselves, let's not, you know, go out and get this guy beat up in game one. And we got a short week coming up now, obviously, with Monday Night Football. Let's, uh, let's maybe have, and of course, it doesn't necessarily work out that way, best laid plans, right. but I do right. think that you're going to see that throughout the year. They're going to probably, for the first month at least, kind of hold back on letting Lamar loose on design runs as much also, as they can. The Lamar Jackson runs, he's not out there running power, right? They're not, it's not dependent yeah. on
0: Lamar Jackson as much as Lamar Jackson's getting running yards is dependent on the, um, You know, the fooling them with the running back and the running backs getting yards is dependent on fooling them with Lamar Jackson. So if things aren't working well between the two, neither of them is getting the yardage.
1: That's about it. Right. And if they don't, they're not comfortable with the option where the ball might be getting pulled away, might not get pulled away, etc. And the running back hasn't practiced this enough. Then you get wary of a, a fumbled exchange.
2: Yeah. And the Raiders were definitely cheating on that, too. They saw that coming and, you know, they were they were ready for that kind of play. I
0: thought the Raiders were sort of the team that I expected. Like in the long run, the Raiders were a above average offense and below I mean, you know, the Ravens did score 29 points. Like the Raiders were at a kind of slightly above average offense, slightly below average defense, which is sort of what I expected. Um their offensive line had some problems. Leatherwood didn't look good. Um I think I'm blown away by how little they use Henry Ruggs. Yeah. Uh, I realized he had like the one big catch, but otherwise, yeah. for a dude who's taken 11th overall, my God, they do not use
1: him. He's like the only guy left that's like a high draft pick. That's not yeah. true because Abram is out there in Jacobs, but it's another one of those. Did you have a plan for this guy? Like like uh, Farrell, the uh, the edge rusher that they had to, the, the it was accuracy. a
0: healthy scratch.
1: What what yeah. was the plan for this guy going in? But one thing about the Raiders is you know last year we saw him beat the Chiefs early. And we saw him beat the Saints early. And there were games where the opponent made a lot of mistakes and everything, and they didn't. So we've seen this from the Raiders before. Like you said, it's the team you expect. Let's see how it goes in a couple weeks when we get a a little more, when they have to deal with some injuries, when they get figured out a little bit. Let's let's see where they're at in the scheme of
2: things. Yeah, Um, I don't trust them at all. And and not to bring it all back to the Bengals, but I I definitely get strong John Ross vibes off of of Ross so far. you have to wonder if there's a lot of behind-the-scenes things going on there too with Ross, who was constant friction with the coaches and and injury, you know, things with him. I don't know. The rugs has been massively injured, particularly, but I I do get the feeling that there's some chafing going on behind the scenes. And uh, yeah, I the Raiders to me are they're interesting mainly because of their Vegas surroundings, really more so than they are uh, as a team. I think they'll be exactly you know. The, well, I'd say I said it, in the maybe. preseason,
0: they were the most boring team in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it, in way, it, it, the way, the trappings of Al Davis's memory and the fact that they play in Las Vegas.
2: Yeah. it's Like, it's this specific. is a, the most
0: boring team in the NFL. Their quarterback is quietly, consistently, slightly <laughs> above average. There's no real stars on offense. Even Jacobs is not like a fantasy stud or anything like that there's no real stars on defense. I mean, Matt Crosby is good, but I don't think anybody would call despite the fact that he had a really great game. I don't think anybody would call him one of the top pass rushers in the league. Um, Even the Carl Nassib story, which a few years ago would have been a much bigger deal than it is now is now kind of like we all just accept it. So it's not really changing the boringness. (laughs) It's a good it's a good thing. It's a good thing, right? That that's not yeah. that doesn't make them more exciting.
1: It doesn't make them, we them
0: don't more care. exciting. They're really boring. Like yeah. they're no, just that's a really boring team. Well, boring
2: can be would good. Say, yeah. Well, and then you know they're boring in the same way that when you go to like a Siegfried and Roy show, it's like, yeah, you're in Vegas, it's great. And then you're like, oh yeah, but I'm still seeing Siegfried and Roy. And you know, and 30 minutes is enough. I mean, it's just like you know, they don't offer you anything as a viewer outside of the uh, the top and, and circum the you know the, the circumstances and the pageantry that they offered there uh, around the game with the DJ and the you know all kinds of fun stuff on the edges. And really, they you get the feeling almost that the fact that they don't really have any stars and are kind of boring in their players and their personnel is by design because God forbid anybody outshine John Gruden, right? I mean, (laughs) he's the TV uh, personality that everybody wants to revolve around. So, you know, I I think that's how they draft and that's that's how they build their team. What a blandness. And uh, I'm actually going.
0: I'm going to Las Vegas in November.
2: That's nice. nice. I
0: haven't been on vacation in two and a half years. We're taking a mini vacation and I happen to be going the weekend that Kansas City plays the Raiders in the Sunday oh, night game. That'd be fun. Nice. My plan is to go to Allegiant Stadium and find out what all the hoo-ha is about. Yeah. It's it's good is,
1: for you, it's like uh, you're getting out of Massachusetts when it's going to be like 10 degrees and the sun's going to be setting at like whatever, 4 o'clock or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, but the, the way Rob was describing it, it's like, hey, the guys will be like, hey, you want to go to Vegas? Want to go to Vegas? Like, I'm going to sit in a bar and gamble. I can sit in bars and gamble in Jersey. What's the appeal now? Well, Uh, you can't
0: sit in bars and gamble in Massachusetts. We are still – sports gambling is still not legal in Massachusetts.
2: (laughs) Um, An Indian casino instead, uh, (laughs) right? Do it off off –
0: Brian Knowles uh, apparently does not believe that I actually planned my trip around the Uh Chiefs-Raiders game. I I point out I'm missing Cleveland coming to Foxborough to go see Kansas City versus the Raiders. Yeah. So it is that it just happened to be that weekend because I was like, "Oh, I'm upset that I'm missing the Browns coming here," but that weekend worked better for us for other personal reasons. And then, um, and then it turned out that Kansas City has played the Raiders in an island game where I don't even have to worry about that. I can't pay attention to other
1: games. Your question is, you have to
2: yeah, how how much uh, you can have to mortgage your house to afford? Oh, I'm going on a, a press pass. I'm I've not go- I'm not buying Justin tickets. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I didn't know if you were, you know, bringing along the uh, the better half there. You oh
0: know. no, uh, no, she'll 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 be playing slots or something.
2: <laughs> <laughs> she will be losing all your money in the casino while you're on the press pass. I understand. Right. Got it. Sir,
0: <laughs> Sir Crayon asks: uh, Have we discussed our NFL picks methodology, especially early in the year? The answer is that my picks early in the year, which, by the way, were horrendous in week one, absolutely horrendous, three and 10, and I am embarrassed, uh, are based on the preseason projections for week one. They're based on Dave ratings early in the season. So we still incorporate the projection a lot into the picks um, rather than leaping to conclusions and really basing things heavily on week one DVOA. Uh, and I think that that's the way to go. I was surprised when ESPN Seth Walder tweeted out their FPI, and they had the Packers drop to 17th in the league in FPI. Yeah. Does any like, despite the fact that they got keelhauled by the Saints, does anybody right now believe that the Packers are a below-average team?
2: Not me, Rob. No. I mean, I. That's uh, it. Seems like a clickbaity thing to do. To be quite frank, I mean it's uh, not. Right. I
0: know. I know the people who design it. It is. It's, they're not, they're trying to be as accurate as possible. Right. I, it just no way Felt it to me like it really over. It really over. Um, over over uh, weighted week yeah. one, and of course this gets to another question we have from Stacy Langen for the Ask Me Anything, which is why do all the teams in the NFC North suck? And the answer, I think, is I don't think the Packers do suck.
1: Right. No. I'll, I'll, I'll field this one. The Packers don't actually suck, although I'm a little bit worried about how listless they look. The Bears suck because they're being like purposefully mismanaged by their general manager and head coach or trying to hide their incompetence at this point. The Vikings don't understand what, uh, what return on investment and cost-benefit analysis works, so their plan for everything is to spend more money on their veterans, and now they have built a team that's actively bad – but very expensive, but they don't realize it because all the guys have track records are being pretty good. And the Lions suck because they are rebuilding right now and they don't have any players. That's, there it
0: is. I mean, I still, I still, I think, am higher on the Vikings than you are. Although I was surprised, I thought that our Vikings projection was going to be higher than the market. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. It
2: wasn't. The market
0: was about where we were on the Vikings, which is that they were a slightly above average, you know, on the verge of being playoff contenders team. And that's how the Vegas line had them in the preseason. uh, It wasn't much different from our projection at all. Uh, I still feel like there's a lot of talent in Minnesota. And and like I said a lot in the preseason, like there were a lot of things for them last year Mm -hmm. that went really bad in ways that happened to regress towards the mean. Like their special teams are not going to be that bad. Their defense is not going to be that injured. That being said, if you said to me which teams had things subjectively go bad for them in the preseason where they look worse for reasons <laughs> that aren't in the stats, the number one team would be Baltimore, and the number two team would be Minnesota.
1: Yep. Right. And you just yeah. you just saw a game. We saw a game, Rob, where a bunch of things went badly for them that don't necessarily show up in the statistics, and they lose where there are miscommunications, where the crowd noise in Cincinnati is just too much for Kirk Cousins and Garrett Bradbury who have been playing together for three years to manage, Uh, where they are always stuck in third and 15 for some reason, where they don't have anybody to turn to except Cook, Thielen, and, and Jefferson, where you go to the next guy down on their list and it's not there. So all these little marginal things that they're not really good at, I think add up, add up, add up a little more each year and add up to put them in a position where they wind up Losing two teams like the Bengals that you expect them to be.
0: I'll just point out, by the way, the average to go for Minnesota on third and fourth downs, this is not punts, but like where they actually went for it, was 11.2. There was no other team above 10 this week.
1: Yes. Tune in tomorrow's walkthrough. I talk about this where Kirk has pretty much set a record for how many times you could throw before the sticks on third and long third and 24 uh,
0: third and 20 third and 24 third and 20 third and 26 yes
1: <laughs> holding
2: followed it's by third and 24s, by the way. If they don't convert that first third and 24, you know, the, that should have been a blowout at that stage. The Eli Apple uh that was dry. actually,
0: believe it or not, the second third and 24 that they, yeah, the they actually one, right. did convert one of the third 24s with a Amazing. pass to K.J. Osborne.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, K.J. He broke right at free from Eli. And then yep. Eli was so downbeat about the whole thing, he proceeded to have a defensive holding and then get thrown down uh, on the <laughs> touchdown pass by Thielen. Yeah. Going back to the overall NFC North, if I could just for a second. First of all, I think, you know, we're forgetting the fact that in the Packers case, they showed up to Jacksonville and probably assumed they were playing the Jaguars. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> wait a minute, we got the Saints and Sean Payton? Oh, my God. Completely threw him off. That, you know, <laughs> I, I take the Aaron Rodgers approach here. And he was just like, eh, whatever. We had a crappy game. It was super hot. We were down mm-hmm. early and just kind of threw it into the fire and burned the game tape and said, the heck with it. Let's move on. I mean, there are issues there, and certainly the fact that they lost an all-pro center and played without their all-pro left tackle, and they moved mm-hmm. their you uh, know right. replacement outstanding offensive lineman out to tackle, and it's kind of jerry-rigged right now, and they were playing mm-hmm. a formidable front four. That obviously had a lot to do with it. And, you know, they get to play all those crappy teams that we just mentioned. They get to play right. Chicago twice and Detroit twice and the Vikings. So uh, in Minnesota's case, there I do fear that there's – Uh, On top of what you were talking about, Aaron, and uh, there's a bit of, I don't know if Mike Zimmer fatigue is exactly the right way to put it, but there's a lot of talk in Minnesota that, you know, his, his message is being tuned out now. And because Mm -hmm. of the fact that, you know, they, they favored the vets, the vets buy in, but they keep getting hurt and they're not doing it the way they could. And he's just not reaching the guys who, you know, the next generation, if you will, of Mm. especially defensive players, you know, they still obviously are formidable with their skill guys. Right, and, you know, I, I thought it was pretty apparent that, you know, the Bengals had a lot of mismatches that they could take advantage of. And there was not a lot of, you know, uh, adjustments being made by Zimmer in real time. They kind of, oh, yeah, let's get to that. We got to give brashawn brewin some help, et cetera. Yeah. You know, but the driver too late. And uh, mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, they're also breaking in a new offensive coordinator there, uh, Kubiak, Gary Kubiak's son, mm-hmm. Clint, who – we don't know that much about. I mean, you assume just because of his last name, he knows what he's doing, but as we've seen in various uh, NFL provinces, that's a dangerous (laughs) assumption to make. So uh, who was with them? Funnily, I thought Detroit actually showed a little bit of the most promise of that team just because not just the comeback, which I don't put a huge amount of stock into, but uh, I thought Panay Sewell looked much more natural on his Mm -hmm. left side. Uh, I thought that they had a, you know, a, a bit of an identity, what they want to do. And, you know, Jared Goff showed that maybe, just maybe, he's he could pull off what they're looking to do. He's not going to be a great player. No, but I mean, you know, I'm not saying they're going to be good. Ooh. I'm saying they're not train wreck. Right. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. can't tell.
0: I <laughs> early in that game, I was like, oh boy, do I feel stupid about my Detroit over four and a half. And then by the end of the <laughs> yeah. game, I was like,
2: all yeah, right, we'll I don't feel so stupid me.
0: about Detroit over four. Yeah,
2: seven wins is definitely in their in uh, in their grasp. You know, I mean, there's a long way to go. A lot of things to assume from that, but just from the fact that you know where they were in terms of mockery before the season, most of it uh, self-induced by Dan Campbell, of course. And boy, it's mm-hmm. fun to make fun of him. But you know, there's uh there's something there. There's 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 a way forward there for them to get into the. Uh, out of the trash and into the mediocre range of the NFL. Yeah,
1: they they can they can run the ball between the tackles very very well. They looked very solid doing that. Uh, but Jared Goff plus no wide receivers is bad 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 bad. Anything
2: yeah.
1: anything he had to throw towards the sidelines that wasn't the Hawkinson balls had tails on them things like that. Guys were not open for him. But it's going to be a long year. I I still think they can bang five wins. I can find five wins on that schedule because yeah. they do they are strong on both offensive and defensive line. They will run the ball if games don't snowball on then they'll be in good shape. But I think we, I, I know there are Cardinals questions coming because I mean, the Packers game it boils down to was a snowball game. You fall behind and you throw an interception that snowballed until the end. The 49ers Lions game was kind of a snowball. And then they, they covered, they covered for me. Um, <laughs> but that Titans Cardinals game, the reason why it is so lopsided is because it's a snowball game. You take a lead. This team that wants to be super balanced, wants to run the ball falls behind And then they're put in a position where, you know, they can't protect the quarterback and you're given a short field, et cetera, And it creates this big route.
0: Yes. Eric Zembeck says, are the Cardinals that good or the Titans that bad? Maybe a bit of both. And one of the stats I've seen around is that the Titans ran almost no play action in that game, Mm -hmm. which is such a huge change. But I would think that's driven by the score. That once you take away the fear of the run, you're not running play action passes when you're down by like three touchdowns in the second half.
1: It was, but they also started handing off to Henry in the third quarter, down by three scores. Now I get the let's get them some carry, let's get them going in general thing. But if you can hand off, you can run play action. Yeah, it was a total of three play action passes. I pulled it off of SIS earlier. Two of them were sacks.
2: Yeah, and. Uh, Chandler yeah. Jones just demolished their game yeah. plans, I feel like, you know, and, they, yeah. they, they, and then they went to, I saw another stat where they played almost no tight ends in the game and just went three wide pretty much the entire, uh, the weird. second half. Some of that is game script, obviously, but I, I think there's sort of, a, you know, we're assuming they're going to play just like Arthur Smith played and, uh, you know, that that's probably not the case. They'll probably do some things differently, at least a handful of things. Uh, not that they won't get Henry the ball, but they'll do yeah. some other stuff. They Um, might want to take
1: a handoff once in a while. They may want to try that. In case of
0: confirming your priors, I mean, I said in the preseason, one of the reasons that the Titans were down in our projections was new offensive coordinator. And you don't know if new offensive coordinator will do things the way old offensive coordinator did. And after week one, that's one of everybody's big worries is, okay, uh, how much does the change in offensive coordinator mean
1: Yeah, and that was there was a lot of first down handoff to Henry. I didn't check the boxes, I didn't look at it like if it was eight man but handoff to Henry, first down, not a lot of play action there. Like you said, part of it was scheme dependent in the second half, uh, that where you're down by three touchdowns and you're taking guys out. It, it, it this was not a game plan that I looked at and said, Oh my god, this guy has really figured out the best use of his personnel.
2: Yeah, I think we've talked about it in, in previous football outsiders almanacs, at least anyway, but there's obviously a difference between. A new offensive coordinator because the old guy got fired and you want to upgrade from what he was doing. Yeah. Versus losing your offensive coordinator because he gets a head coaching gig and he was so good and you're trying to live up to what he did without you know blindly following uh, his footsteps. And that, you know that that certainly takes a while to work out in a lot of cases. We obviously don't know yet what that's going to work out here. Uh, when you were talking about all the uh, two things, I just wanted to quickly mention. First of all, with the Chandler Jones uh, game that he had. I definitely like the Tyler Lawan tweet of shame, <laughs> and I think that should be a, a weekly thing. Like the guy who had the worst performance all week should be forced to tweet out, "God, uh, thank you, uh, opponent, for making me look like a JV player uh, and ring the shame bell again, like Game of Thrones." Game of Thrones, you know, just have that part, of, part of the NFL landscape. I really, I really enjoyed that, uh, but mentioning arthur smith and mike you were talking about how the snowball games happen you know that atlanta game i saw some of and that was a game that was really strange in that that's the falcons are not a team that's looking to run the ball you know i know that arthur smith is coming in there and trying to bring his precepts from the titans but obviously given their scheme they want to throw and they look great for two drives and you could just see they had to settle for three in the red zone Mm -hmm you know Tennessee had been a good red zone team and that hasn't moved over yet to Atlanta and uh, you could just see the life go out of them and of course right. with that offensive line yeah they, they would just they, they just gave up they're like we're not going to get Matt Ryan killed in week 1 in a game that we have no chance of coming back and boy uh for disappointing debuts you know Arthur Smith is is the son of Fred Smith the uh, head of FedEx and he had to be <laughs> like back to the early days of you know I guess they did their first, uh, you know, first days right there in their own uh, living room and trying to send out these packages, all going to the wrong addresses. And, you know, people (laughs) returning mail, this guy doesn't live here anymore. I mean, it was that much of a debacle in Atlanta and they've already given up locally here. I live in Atlanta and people are already just punting on the season completely. It's like, Oh, we have no offensive line. We're playing the bucks this week. We're going to get murdered. And it's just like, uh, when, when does the hawk season start? Is UGA, going to win it all, that kind of thing. But the Falcons are a non-entity already in Atlanta.
0: Matt Matt Nosko actually says not to be one of those WIP callers, but is there real hype around the Eagles? How much was the Eagles are better than you think, and how much was the Falcons are worse than we thought?
1: I had a guy, I was in a bar, and uh, because I'm watching, I'm not drinking uh, Edge Sports, I'm watching multiple games. Uh, And I heard a guy say, you know what, this team has has a February feel to it. These Eagles have a February feel to it. So that WIP caller, Matt Noska, yeah, there's already that going on here in Philly. I don't know how many people are like that, but what there is, I mean, what I would say is there's genuine enthusiasm now. Nick Sirianni has flipped the script. He's no longer the guy who was nervous in his first press conference, and I'm just a Howie Roseman puppet. That stuff has gone away. Jalen Hurts isn't just the placeholder while we wait for Deshaun Watson to come or wait, wait to get all the first round picks for Carson Wentz. And it is more about this team right now. What they're capable of this year, what they're developing, and that's coming off a win. I, I don't know how many people are seriously think this is a February football team, but they're a football team that's not going to be a nightmare to watch every week like the Falcons generally are, and like the right. Eagles were last year.
2: Yeah, I mean, as I a think- February dark and cloudy with a chance of sleep, That's to me is a February feel, <laughs> and not necessarily good things, but okay, whatever. Was, whatever gets was, that guy through the day.
1: It was two dollar Miller lights. I mean, I'm San Francisco
0: this week. I mean, if we go with the idea that we still learn more from preseason projections than we do from week one,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. San Francisco is a three and a half point favorite and the football outsiders picks really like San Francisco with only three and a half points.
1: Yep. Yep. Still three and a half points. I kind of like, I kind of like San Francisco there too. And one thing I'm looking for is how yak-tastic this game is going to be, because we know the 49ers love yards after catch. They led the league in yards after catch in week one. Part of it was Debo running six million yards wide free, but a lot of plays too. And the Eagles are now yaktastic too, because a lot of what they're doing right now, using the option threat, using the great offensive line to set up the screen games on the outside. And the one place where you could possibly hit the 49ers defense is at their secondary, especially with Verrett. Yep. Verding.
0: Verding. Verrett is Killing hurt him. again, yeah. out for the yeah, year. Yeah.
1: again. are a little yeah. out for Jason true. Verrett. Um, but you know, don't, don't challenge Nick Bosa. Those guys get the ball on the perimeter to Rieger, get it to Devontae Smith, get to the tight ends and see if you can create some yak and make it close. I'm still leaning 49ers, but I think it could be very close.
2: Do we, do we think there is a green briar West Virginia effect and that that's where the 49ers stayed during the week and that they're not going back and forth. And maybe, you know, there's two ways to look at it. One is the smart thing, save the travel miles and the jet lag and you're in the East coast and that's good. Uh, or, I don't know how many people know about Greenbrier, but it's one well, of the sort of yeah, I mean, it's it's unbelievably swanky. Usually hosts, you know, visiting dignitaries and heads of state. And I can see the likes of, uh, you know, uh, the Boses and the, uh, the Armsteads cool. yeah. just kind of just chilling out and being like, this is the life, baby. And, uh, you know, oh, we got to go play a game? Uh, do we have to? Okay, let's go. Fine, whatever. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> maybe they start sluggishly for a quarter, a quarter and a half. I do like the 49ers. Generally speaking, of course, but while losing Varede and and Mostert, we should mention too, is now officially out for the season, not just half the season. Uh, that's not quite the level of losses they suffered in week one last year, but I mean, this is the 49ers and they're getting droves of guys hurt every year. And to me, long term, not, not this week, but it's already starting uh, and you just hope that they can make it in somewhat healthy fashion, you know, for more than one out of every four years during the Shanahan administration. The secondary is a real problem. They don't have anybody
0: who can keep up with Devontae Smith.
1: Right. They do not. They're going to have a rookie out there. But now I have this image of Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo in those hot springs
2: Oh, baby, the
1: green buyer, just, just, just big pimping. And uh, they
2: got I can't unsee $1,000 glasses of cognac in their hand. They're just like, Oh, you know, golfing 36 holes. It's like, baby, we're, we're going to become the West Virginia 49ers. Forget the San Francisco business. It's uh it's, it's the place to be. So <laughs> just throwing it out. There's a possibility of, uh, you know, it's 10 nothing Eagles after uh, 11 minutes on Sunday. Maybe there's a <laughs> reason. Useful title
0: says it's time to dust off Trey Sermon for the 49ers, and I think that that's true. I think the reason Sermon was inactive is because he doesn't play special teams,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but he's the replacement for Mostert, not Elijah Mitchell.
1: Mitchell played well, though. Uh, don't, don't, and of course, they'll go with hot hand, they'll go with committee, but Mitchell looked yeah, good. It was- wasn't just nonsense because, you know, the game was out of hand.
2: No, I, that was a Shanahan. I could make anybody in the backfield look good kind of flex, right? I mean, him and his dad have been doing that forever. And I, no doubt, Sermon's going to have an impact this season uh, at some point, if it's not this Sunday. He'll be out there and he'll be good. No question.
0: Brian Knowles points out our backcast projections liked Mitchell more than they liked Sermon.
2: That's right. It's true. That's right. Yeah.
0: So wait and see. Yeah, wait and see. Here's a question from Seth Vanderpool. He asked over Instagram, do we think that the Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes play style as quarterbacks will become more popular in the future? I'm trying to think of, first of all, what makes those two similar? I guess it's throwing off, off um, platform, right? Right. Like throwing sidearm and like while falling down. And I mean, because, Mm Mahomes doesn't do the planned runs he doesn't do the design runs the way Lamar Jackson does but they both will like vary their arm angles and throw while scrambling a lot and I mean yes I think that that's more popular in the future I think that the Mac Jones pocket passer is you know there's going to be less guys like that and there's going to be more guys who run around I mean Herbert can run around and Lawrence can run around and uh, Fields can run around, and most of the young quarterbacks can run around.
1: And Fields is a big, lots of platforms on his arm. If you go back and look at him in the preseason, he's throwing three quarter arm. When he's on the move, he can deliver the ball accurately from a diff- lot of different angles, and that's part of it. But yeah, they're very different quarterbacks. So you got to point out Mahomes is in a different plane as a passer, two planes up from Lamar Jackson and a plane up from just about everybody else. So it's a very different thing. But yeah, the idea that you're going to be a little more embracing a little bit more mobility, et cetera. That's been a continuum for the last 30 years in the NFL, and I think it's going to continue.
2: Yeah, Mahomes is is sui generis. I mean, so much of what he does is just because of his baseball background more than anything else, right? So, I mean, I don't even know if you can make that comparison, but yeah, the mobility is obvious. Although if you look at, you know, it's kind of depend on who's coming out through the college ranks, I guess, and, and the, yeah. the high school studs. And uh, you know, right now at this moment, you know, where are you looking? You are Spencer Rattler, he can move around, right? I mean, mm-hmm. but Sam Howell and Carson Strong, these are more prototypical guys. Mac Corral kind of mixes it up. kind of depends on, you know, who emerges from the college and even now the high school ranks because of NIL. So many high school stallions, shall we say, are, uh, are just blowing off even their senior year of high school and are, and are going to college football earlier than expected. Uh, we yeah. saw that with Quinn Ewers. Uh, going to Ohio State. So, you know, a lot of that question that I'm assuming he's talking about in terms of the more athletic, not necessarily the, uh, you know, the platform and the way they throw, but the athletic style of quarterback, uh, I you know, I I think that's an advantage that will be certainly the NFL is looking to have. Question is, you know, how many of the quarterbacks that are NFL quality will come out of college and and play to that level? Uh, Field certainly is a guy who's going to be that caliber of player i don't think there's any doubt about it and we'll be asking questions about uh you know who's the next justin fields coming out of college this time next year i think
0: Mm. Mm. shake murray asks on twitter which nfl team is the suicide squad expected to die the
1: moment they set foot on the field but somehow they survive and even succeed i'm i'm calling this when everyone wants to say the Texans because we were debating this i'm going with the arizona cardinals uh, in part because they're cobbled together out of random parts. Like, there's no logical reason why you have J.J. J. Watt and A.J. Green and all these linebackers who are safeties, who are defensive backs, who are pass rushers on the team. But yeah. the, the, the key to it is Chandler Jones. Because instead mm. of giving Chandler Jones more money, they stuck a chip in the back of his head where if he doesn't get five sacks a game, they'll explode it. Okay, so that's that's my reasoning there. They, they were supposed to go out there and stink. Instead, they're playing lights out because of survival, but not just survival. Because the Suicide Squad is also about personal redemption and pride, and that's what the Arizona Cardinals are all about.
2: Can I just say, I, I, when I saw this question, I was like, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not super familiar with the details of the Suicide Squad, but it <sighs> seemed to me that you could sub in the Dirty Dozen very, yeah, uh, very much yes, for that particular Same thing. question make that happen and of course they already have Jim Brown so you're one step <laughs> ahead of all the opponents when you That's do that funny. uh yeah I, I like the Cardinals thought the Texans were the obvious thought and you know some people were even throwing out uh, my Bengals as a potential I, I think when you have Joe Burrow on your team that sort of uh eliminates <laughs> you from being a team that automatically is just roll over and die but when you uh send him out behind you know, uh, the caliber of line that certainly they sent out last year, that's (laughs) suicidal. So uh, let's throw him out there. The Texans
0: are uh, are definitely cobbled together. I mean, who decided we were going to put Mark Ingram and Philip Lindsay and Rex Burkhead all together in the same backfield. And then, um, you know, Tyrod Taylor is the quarterback, but they might have to go to Davis Mills later in the season. And I mean, that is definitely a cobbled together roster.
1: That's more of a major league thing. I can't see Jack Easterby as the supervillain.
0: He can't be yeah, Amanda I guess, Waller. I Trump. guess the Texans are more like major league. Yeah, like here are the guys who've been rejected by other teams. It's Vernon Hargreaves. Yay. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's give him a fifth chance. Yeah.
1: Um, what league were you in? The California Penal? I, I can't believe that. <laughs> uh, you made it-
2: all right, oh, man. We got to get you
1: updated, Rob, on the Suicide Squad. We got to get you in with the, the uh superhero movies. Apparently, weren't there
2: two? I mean, I don't even know which there one to choose. Suicide from.
1: Squad, I,
2: I... and then there's uh-huh.
1: the
0: Suicide Squad. <laughs> I see.
2: Oh, so in see, the article, between, right? You've got it on is.
0: one end, you've got your
1: Suicide Squad, and then you've mm-hmm. got your the Suicide Squad. Very different. <laughs> yeah, and the Suicide Squad is like not, the Ohio I, State I, University. It's much better than Suicide yeah, Squad, see, which is like
2: <laughs> yeah, that that could be anything. Yeah,
1: Which that could like be a bunch University of guys from Ohio and other <laughs> Yeah,
2: that's <laughs> Yeah, I'm not completely DC and Marvel ignorant. I just don't particularly know that one uh, slice uh, of the franchises that they're that they're foisting upon us these days. But uh yeah. I, I will, I will uh, I'll study up on the Suicide Squad. No question. Absolutely. From it's the football like the- outsiders. It's just like the
1: dirty dozen, except Margot Robbie instead of Trini Lopez, which I think is a real upgrade. So, you know.
2: That's a massive upgrade. No question.
1: <laughs> uh one more que-
0: one more question here. <laughs> Madison Cecil. We've seen and talked about young quarterbacks this season. After week one, who do you think is the most successful or playoff bound? My money's on Justin Herbert. I mean, the first question is if you're talking young quarterbacks, who goes into the discussion? Are we talking year one guy? Okay. Right. Are we talking year one or two guys? Are we talking years one through three? I mean, as far as the rookies go, mm-hmm. I thought Mac Jones looked the best in his first start. Right, but it's almost to be expected. He was considered right. the right. He was the most pro ready and has the least amount of like arm talent. Mm-hmm. So like he was starting from a higher place and going to a lower place. Right, with a time. better offensive line. So him, him having yeah. the best first
1: start is not a shock to me. No. no, it's not. And he looked fine. But again, yeah, it's like, oh, look, the offensive line's protecting him. The defense is keeping it closed. He gets to have a solid game. Wilson and uh, Lawrence were in these nightmare scenarios in both of their games. Lawrence had an easy opponent, at least, but, you know, was almost sabotaged by his coaches. And the Jets roster is stunning. It is a Shrine game roster. It really is a Shrine game roster, so it's hard to get. And Wilson started looking good at the end, but he was like a squirrel in the in, in the freeway for most of that game.
0: I feel pretty good yeah. about the Patriots' chances against the Jets this week, I will say. I think that
1: that's pretty solid. I so think a, you have 12 and a half. Such a
0: superior defense.
1: Wait, why am I only seeing six points here? Hold on a second. Six the line points?
0: is five and a half last time I saw.
1: Yeah, ah! it's
2: very low. It's very low.
0: I mean, the Jets are at home, but, yeah, I like that one.
2: Yeah. The question yeah. for me is only whether or not we'll get the mic'd up Zach Wilson saying uh, I'm seeing ghosts out yeah. there, you know, a uh, Sam Darnold when he played against <laughs> Belichick at a similar age. Uh, yeah, I, listen, young quarterbacks in that boat, obviously two of them, but when we saw spot duty, uh, Fields and Lance, so it's hard to even throw them into the mix. So if you want to throw the second-year guys in there, uh, you know, Joe Burrow I've talked about, he played very well, all things considered, first get action back. Yep. You know, they took took a load off him. They ran the ball a lot in even in passing situations to not expose him as much as they could. Uh, but he's he's still he's still Joe Burrow. The anticipation, the timing, you know, yeah. seeing the field, he knows what he's doing, there's no doubt. And Herbert was uh in some ways even better. I mean, he he got, you know, a really clean pocket. I'll say that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, yes. That's considering you, you he was playing mean,
0: against Washington in particular. Yeah.
2: I think that was the big takeaway from that game is the cobbled thrown together rebuild in the, in the Chargers line, certainly passed and aced their uh, initial test against them. You can make the argument that maybe the red, uh, the Washington football team uh, defense is slightly overrated uh, coming into the season. Everybody Mm -hmm. thought they'd be the 85 bears, not quite that good, but Mm -hmm. certainly they have a lot of players up front and the, the Chargers uh, took care of them very well. And Herbert, you know, third down, especially made some, Really bullet throws. He was very impressive. So uh, he would still put Burrow and Herbert in a much different league, I think, than any of the rookies and and even Tua. Uh, right. Tua didn't show me a ton. They I didn't, were, I didn't see that game, but you know, I he, will say he,
0: statistically, Herbert was so good on third down that it does scream regression. Like hmm. he was not good on yeah. as good on first and second down, although some of that was the receivers. And he was phenomenal on third down, and it's not so likely to continue.
2: Hmm it was almost like a challenge. Like, let's see what I can do here to make it more difficult because the game's too easy for me. Let's uh, let's make everything third down and then uh, throw into uh, the teeth of this defense and show him what I can really do. Uh, because he was, he was, as you said, on third down, he was exceptional. Um, did you guys, what'd you guys feel from two? I didn't see a ton of the uh, Patriots dolphins game. Did you feel like two? Uh, any step forward? He was as- the
0: opposite. He really struggled on third down. Yeah. Two of their third down conversions were actually Jacoby Brissett sneaks <laughs> he definitely is like if it's a quick if it's quick stuff he's really good. Yep. If he's required to sit in the pocket and find his guy downfield, I mean they had open guys. The Patriots secondary is definitely missing Gilmore uh, mm-hmm. that he yeah. wasn't hitting.
1: Right. Um, yeah, they didn't have a plan on third and long. He didn't look good. Offensive line looked like it started to struggle and it had to actually pass protect and all. So and that's that's troubling because your second year you've got weapons. You should be more. Capable in that situation,
2: yeah. From the little from the highlights I saw, Jalen Waddle, he certainly looked like he was yeah. uh, the player. yes that was, he was open like a
0: good. lot against Jalen Mills, right? I mean, Jalen yes. Mills is not an outside outside corner; is not what he does best. But he's been forced into that by the Gilmore injury. You,
1: you'll get the full experience because he made a play in the end zone. He had a pass defense,
0: fantastic play in the end
1: zone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. You'll you'll be like, oh my god, he's getting beat. He's getting beat. He's getting beat, and then he's going to make a play in the end zone. Like, okay, randomly. He like he rises to the occasion against the Falcons in the playoffs a couple of years ago, most famously. But that's kind of part of the the the, the Green Goblin experience with Jalen Mills.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. I want to thank book em- book. Sorry, yeah. what were you going to say? I just say you might can't resist those comic book references. They, no,
0: Mills fault for coloring his hair green. I didn't know if he'd switch to blue once he was with the Patriots. i right. become the Blue Goblin. Right.
1: <laughs> blue Beetle.
0: The blue All right. Beetle. I'm going to I'm going to wrap it up here. Thank you so much to people who watched on twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders. Thanks to Robert Wanchop for joining us this week. Thanks always to Mike Tanyer. Uh, we will be back with another show tomorrow. I will not be the Jewish holiday, but Mike will be here along with Cale Clinton and JP Acosta. So the young blood mm-hmm. showing out tomorrow to preview week two in the NFL. So join us tomorrow one o'clock Eastern on twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders. And thank you everybody for watching today.